It's time for midday here on KRBN. It's Wednesday, September 22nd. Tyler Cavalli with you, the whole gang here once again. A lot of great information coming your way the next couple of hours. Jason Jorgensen will talk about big Husker volleyball game coming up tonight. That also can be heard right here on KRVN. Bob Rogan will step in, tell us how stocks are looking. Looks like there's uh, some green on the screen, which is obviously good. And in about 15 minutes, we'll hear from our own Paul Perkins to tell us about the warmer weather that's on the way. Maybe not for a long time, but at least there is some warmer weather in the near future. But let's catch up with Susan Littlefield. Susan, uh, where do I find you this morning? We just finished wrapping up our Fridays in the Field for this week. The FNBO project for me is completed, so you'll get to see and hear about that come Friday. Okay, very good. I believe Alex wrapped up hers last week, so you're this week that's wrapping up. Yep, we're on the downhill slide. Just two more to go, and we'll be done for the year. Wow. Uh, kind of interesting that it's already to that point of the year, but listen, time flies by when you're having fun, I guess. Yes, it does. How about today, though? What do we have coming up on midday? Well, twelve nineteen from the Ag Outlook Forum that took place in Kansas City on Monday, we're going to hear from Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, a couple different issues and things that he's dealing with in Washington, D.C., and how that's affecting Midwestern agriculture. Then at 12.45 yesterday, when I was at the Sandhills Conventions, uh, we caught up with Dr. Daryl Peel. He's with Oklahoma State University. As he and I sat down to chit-chat about what's happening with the, with the cattle markets and what our cattle producers can expect in the, in the weeks and months ahead. And then Alex will wrap up everything at 1.17 with a farm rescue webinar that's coming up. Okay. A lot of great stuff happening. We appreciate it. I look forward to Fridays in the Field with you coming up on Friday. You bet. I, I looked for the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, but didn't find it. <laughs> okay. Well, you can still search. Yep, exactly. All right. Thank you very much. That is Susan Littlefield. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. A uh, big volleyball game coming up tonight for the Huskers. That's big in the sense that Nebraska needs to win again. Right. Uh, they've dropped uh, three in a row on the road at Northwestern. He's just... Five and six. Uh, the schedule sets up favorably for Nebraska to try to get back on track this week against Northwestern and against Iowa. But as Coach John Cook says, with the way the Huskers are struggling, he he doesn't know if Nebraska can beat anyone, yeah, which it, is probably a bit strong. But he also has a lot of youngsters in there that are getting some playing time. So listen, it's you know it's not great, but it's early on in the season still. I'd have to dig back through the annuals and find the last time Nebraska lost four in a row. That's been a few moons ago. It has. Wow. Okay. All right. We'll have that game for you. That's right. Also, we'll talk some UNK football. The Lopers prepare for their matchup at Central Missouri on Saturday. Nebraska will go in as a I, the Lopers will go in as a heavy favorite, and Nebraska a bit of an underdog at Michigan State, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Spartans have played pretty well. We we'll get the thoughts of head coach Scott Frost. Real quick, very important question: uh, Candy corn or candy pumpkins, or neither? Candy corn. By a sliver. Oh, wow. Okay. Bob, uh, before we get to the business report, your f- preferable choice. He'll ride the fence here. I would rather have M&M's, <laughs> but I'll settle for candy corn. and uh, That is not those, an option. And those candy pumpkin things. Okay. Well, they taste the same, by the way. Trying to get this man to take a position is impossible. Uh, well, they do not taste the same. I mean, candy's candy, but I like, I like M&M's. Oh, goodness. You have five seconds. How are the numbers looking? <laughs> things are higher on Wall Street today. We're doing, look, things are looking pretty good. The Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P are all up. All right. That's a mess to start. Savannah, thanks.
It is time for regional ag weather, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, as Paul Perkins. Joining us once again, Paul, uh, you've probably heard this nonsense that we've been talking about all morning long here on the show, and the very important questions we've been posing. Candy corn or candy pumpkins, neither, or do you think they taste the same? You know, I would say a slight edge to candy corn. They do okay. taste similar. I, I never really thought that they did until you posed that question. Mm. I never even thought of the similarities in taste. But my preference actually probably more towards candy corn. And, okay. and I think those taste a little bit different, but not to a whole lot much different. Fair enough. And I'm not <laughs> saying like they're totally different food groups that they taste that different. Yes. It's just a little bit of a... Yeah. Of a different tasting. So. It's always good, good, always good to get that sugar boost. That is, yeah. Maybe too much. Uh, so far, I'm like the only one that has been on the candy pumpkins. But, uh, you know, that's fine. I'll be on my own little world. It's, it's okay. More for me, right? Exactly. I guess so. That's the way you can look at it. Uh, speaking of corn, how is this upcoming uh, weather going to affect those that are trying to get out there and harvest? Things are really looking good for harvest here over the next couple of weeks. Expecting uh, very warm temperatures to really start taking hold for early on next week, as soon as Sunday. Monday. Uh, it's still going to be pretty nice over the next couple of days. Just going to see a little bit of a dip in those temperatures by uh, Friday. But all in all, some very good weather, dry weather, and those temperatures really starting to warm up, really helping in that drying process and uh, getting things out of the field. And this cold front sounds like it's now kind of to move out of the area maybe today. Yes, uh, it's pretty much uh, out of our hair right now. And in behind it, we pretty much have wall-to-wall sunshine. If you look mm-hmm. at the satellite mm-hmm. photo, Nebraska and Kansas, not a cloud in the sky, border-to-border border in both states. I mean, when I look at this radar, uh, if you look at it closely, I mean, there's maybe some of those light clouds yes. at the very high top of the, the sky, but... Really from, I, I don't see anything. Yeah. Passive mountains, maybe? Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, even in Wyoming, Colorado, and on into much of Iowa and Missouri, pretty much uh, dry right now. And, of course, those clear skies last night led to some chilly temperatures. Yeah. There was some frost last night in western and northern areas of Nebraska. Imperial in the southwest dropped to 33. Mm. Now, Bushnell, or is it Bushnell? Bushnell, I believe. Bushnell. They're a a small town in the southwest part of the Nebraska Panhandle. They did get down to freezing, uh, 32 at Bushnell, and also northern areas of Nebraska dropping into the mid-30s, I know, or down to about Greeley. Saw some temperatures into Mm. the uh, right around 36 degrees, but a lot of this... uh, Staying in the upper 30s to the low 40s. Well, they had talked about that there was a chance that the Sandhills and parts western regions of our listening area had the opportunity to get frost last night or this morning, and unfortunately that did happen. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen the next several nights. Yes, uh, not looking at any potential for any freeze in, in the near future, so those uh, gardens and flowers uh, should mm. be intact for a mm-hmm. while here. <laughs> okay, very good. In the meantime, things are warming up. We're going to see 70s before the day's over. Yes, uh, some very nice temperatures right now. Most of us with temperatures in the mid to upper 60s currently, some low 70s as you head towards about St. Francis on over to Smith Center in northern areas of Kansas. Fall officially arriving this afternoon at 221. And on this day that fall arrives, you can expect seasonal temperatures, plenty of sunshine, wall-to-wall sunshine once again in Nebraska and Kansas right now. Winds mostly light out of the south as we get on the backside of high pressure sliding off towards the east. 
With that south wind for tonight, our lows not going to be as cool and right near seasonal levels. Just before a cold front moves to the east tomorrow, it will be slightly warmer than usual. South winds will be a bit breezy with some low pressure just off to our west. Due to a lack of moisture, the passage of tomorrow night's cold front looks to be dry. Behind that front, Friday going to be slightly cooler than average. A ridge of high pressure over the eastern U.S. building onto the plains for early next week, ensuring some dry weather into at least the middle part of next week. Saturday will be a transition day to highs well into the 80s for Sunday on into Tuesday. Time to turn that EC back on. In the long-term forecast, a very high likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures Monday through the first five days of October for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. It will stay mostly dry with below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through October 5th, especially that early to mid part of next week. Something to watch. Some rain chances starting to increase across the western U.S. in those later periods. Key weather factors affecting the markets include heavy rain across the eastern Midwest, but drier weather to the west and the start of central Brazil's wet season. On the plains, limited soil moisture remains a concern for winter wheat in many areas. Completion of wheat planting ranges from 13% in Kansas to 48% in Colorado. Forecast models are indicating a chance of rain in the southern plains next week, despite that strong ridge of high pressure, so that forecast is subject to change. In the eastern Midwest, pockets of moderate to heavy rain have delayed the harvest some. Soil moisture in the Midwest has been declining for winter wheat, but rain this week should help to sustain some good soil moisture for establishment. Most of the Midwest will see drier and warmer weather this weekend, but eastern areas may see some isolated rain on into next week. The northern plains will be drier this next week, with above normal temperatures and help with their drying and harvest. Central Brazil's delay to the wet season looks like it will come to an end this weekend. Some beneficial rain this upcoming weekend will cause more widespread soybean planting and keep it mostly on time. Southern Brazil continues to see rain that benefits the winter wheat and corn and soybean planting and establishment. But for us, looking at some warm and dry weather, this big ridge of high pressure it's been over the western U.S. gradually moving on to the plains and it's also going to kind of amplify and build more towards the north, so that will help to cut off any storm chances and any storm systems coming in from the west. Very good. And for those I had already seen picking beans, this is obviously the kind of ideal forecast for them. Yes, uh, looking very good here. Uh, Dryland corn starting to come out, I know, mm-hmm. just in a few places. So, yeah, just some real good weather here, and this dry air really helping in that process, too. Well, take advantage of it if you can, and if somebody wanted a full forecast, where can they find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. Public Power District. According to one U.S. Senator, agriculture is not being forgot about in Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During this week's Ag Outlook Forum that took place in Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas U.S. Senator Jerry Moran talked about issues he's sharing with Kansans and those in D.C., including tariffs. Uh, I I would mention one that stands out to me. We worked hard to keep... Uh, the past administration from imposing tariffs on phosphates uh, from coming from Morocco because of the consequence to fertilizer prices. Those tariffs are in place. The, this administration seems to be intending to e- extend them, uh, and we're seeing uh, significant increases in the cost of uh, fertilizer. Uh, and that is when farmers talk to me, they want to make sure I've not forgotten about input costs and the differences today. And with reconciliation and all the challenges that the Democrats' energy policies are going to uh, provide uh, to the production of domestic uh, energy, 
and to our least base fuels at the moment, uh, fossil fuels, um, we will see increasing costs in the price of fuel, and which means increasing costs in the price of fertilizer as well. And another tariff issue comes down to steel. Uh, our agricultural manufacturers in Kansas, uh, access to raw materials, but the cost of raw materials are keeping uh, production levels as well as a, as a lack of a growing workforce uh, are uh, indicating to uh, how difficult it's going to be for, for the cost to remain competitive as we try to manufacture uh, in Kansas and provide those, uh, that equipment for our actual farmers and ranchers. Uh, last week I was at the Wheat Innovation Center in Manhattan, Kansas and saw the latest in wheat research and uh, then toured the, the uh, feed uh, grain sciences program at uh, Kansas State University in the Hal Ross flour mill and uh, good things happening with lots of students who are still interested in agriculture and I again appreciate uh, uh, Dr. Featherson uh, and K-State's efforts to find the workforce that uh, this uh, industry desperately needs. And, of course, he said that the work continues when it comes to bringing federal USDA workers to the Kansas City area. Uh, and I appreciate this Secretary of Agriculture, uh, his commitment to continue that program that was started by Secretary Purdue. And we continue the efforts to fulfill the jobs that were created in Kansas at NIFA and ERS. What I think the answer is, because sometimes I read articles that talk about all the vacancies, but the vacancies are existent both in D.C. and in Kansas City. And we still, we still need more people who are interested in the uh, research and technical aspects of agriculture. And I always saw this as an opportunity for us to, to allow kids who grew up on a farm in the Midwest to have, find jobs in agriculture, even though they may not have a job on their family's farm or their neighbor's farm, and keep our kids in agriculture. And so I hope that Kansas City Business Council will continue to promote the opportunities for employment with USDA uh, right here in our home city. I would segue from that point to highlight once again for you what I think is a major development in the agribusiness world that I hope that we do more to capitalize on than what we've done to date. It's not intended as a criticism. We're doing things, but in my view, the potential is significantly more, and that's InBath, the National Agrobioscience Facility to being built in Manhattan. And uh, the, I was the author of the legislation that created the Animal Science Corridor from uh, in this audience, I'll actually mention the University in Missouri, because I usually say some university in Columbia. But in this audience, I'll say from Manhattan and K-State to Columbia and the University of Missouri. That's Senator Jerry Moran speaking at the Ag Outlook Forum. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Nears of Carney. Time for midday sports. Sports director Jason Jorgensen is joining us. Husker volleyball looking to end a losing skid tonight. Yeah, they've suddenly dropped three in a row, and they start Big Ten action in Northwestern tonight. While this week's schedule looks favorable with a matchup against Northwestern, and this weekend they'll take on Iowa. Head coach John Cook isn't taking any chances right now. I'm not sure we can beat anybody in the Big Ten. We don't don't be counting lucky stars uh, just because the you know we're not playing teams that are ranked in the top five. We we got a we got a lot to figure out. We got to get a lot better. Cook made his comments on the Huskers radio network tonight's match starts at eight. We'll have it for you here on eight eighty KRVN. It's pretty. Uh, that's a. It's not saying that they could beat anybody in the Big Ten. I mean, come on. He come was pretty on. blunt on Saturday night, but then Louisville rolled in there and just gave them the back of their hand. Mm-hmm. And when was the last time they dropped three in a row? Did you find that out? Did I you look? Did. Okay. 
working, efforting on some other stuff. Well, listen, hopefully we don't have to figure <laughs> no. that out after tonight. <laughs> if, if they lose to Northwestern tonight... Uh, some serious alarms will be going out for Husker Volleyball. Uh, the football team, they've started preparations for Saturday's game at Michigan State. Huskers showed some good things in their lost third-ranked Oklahoma, and head coach Scott Frost feels Nebraska was able to hang in there at the line of scrimmage. You know, I thought we went toe-to-toe with them um, up front on both sides of the ball. Still want to see some more crease runs. That That's really the piece that's missing is, is a few more that, you know, one little block a little bit better, hitting a hole a little bit better, and... Uh, generating some of the explosive plays in the run game. We start doing that, we're going to be pretty dangerous. That offensive line also could pass protect a little bit better for Adrian Martinez and mm-hmm. run for his life some, but still played a wonderful game. Saturday's game against the Spartans is set for six. We'll have it for you right here on 880KRVN. Uh, f- opening line is at minus five. Is that to five for uh, Michigan State? I'll take that bet. I talked to Sean Callahan yesterday as part of our Husker Chat segment that will be coming up later on this week. He he likes this matchup for Nebraska. My only concern is, and we've seen it before in the Frost era, where Nebraska will show up and play mm-hmm. someone tight, and everybody thinks, okay, they're heading in the right direction, they're close, they're almost there, and then the next week they lay an egg. Well, and you have Michigan State who goes on the road and beats a top 25 team in, in Miami, and I get it, Miami's not the greatest team, but... It's a night game. You're going to have a lot of momentum for the Spartans. It could get ugly, honestly. And their coach, Mel Tucker, is all business. Right. And he already beat Frost once when he was right. at Colorado. Mm-hmm. We'll see. UNK aims to stay unbeaten on Saturday when they travel to Central Missouri. The Lopers have struggled against the Mules since joining the MIAA. And head coach Josh Lynn hopes they can change You know, that. another thing, too, is we've never beaten Central Missouri. I mean, we had them, we had them in the, on the ropes in 19 and, and let one slip away. You know, we've, we've never beat them. And, and it's, uh, and the reason for that is that they're a good football team. And, you know, we've got to go down there. We've got to make the trip. And we need to have a good week of practice and, and get ready to go. UCM, who started the year ranked in the top 15, is 0-3. Kickoff on Saturday is set for 1. We'll have it for you over on the river and 106.9 at Kearney. If the Lopers are going to have a special season and make a run, potential conference title and a playoff berth this is a game they have to win yeah it's not gonna be easy though and as you know what they're gonna be that place is always rocking too especially at night right at the berg yeah they uh they get behind their football however uh they got a sour taste in their mouth right now they're not used to being no oh and three no, that, so no, that if, is if, weird if there was a time for unk to travel down there and beat central missouri it might be this year Listen, last couple of weeks, those are games that, as we've said before, if you're going to be the team that you want to be and take that next step, you have to win those games. This is another one of those instances. Lopers have also rallied in the second half of both of their wins, so uh, we'll see if the good vibes continue for the blue and gold. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. of using propane in urban and rural areas was available to learn about at the recently completed Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island. Mike Newland is with the Propane Education and Research Council, or PERC. Information about PERC and using propane was on display at the Nebraska Propane Gas Association location. And Newland says the startup costs for converting from electric to propane to power irrigation equipment is something to consider. New Tier 4 diesel is going to run 40 to 50 percent more than a propane-powered irrigation, similar horsepower, Uh, and that's because of all the extra after-treatment systems that are on that Tier 4 diesel. 
Propane-powered irrigation engines were on display at the booth, as well as a propane-powered pickup, a standby generator, and a propane grill. Authorities say two victims who died recently in a highway crash in southeastern South Dakota were from Nebraska. The State Department of Public Safety says 75-year-old Albert Wingate and 74-year-old Marilyn Wingate of Norfolk died a week or more following the September 11th crash in Hutchinson County. Safety officials say the driver of a pickup truck pulling an empty horse trailer tried to pass a semi on Highway 81 near Freeman but collided head-on with the Wingate's Chevy Corvette. The couple was airlifted to a Sioux Falls hospital. Marilyn Wingate died Monday. Albert died September 18th. A 28-year-old pickup driver was taken to a Freeman hospital for treatment of his injuries. Authorities in western Nebraska's panhandle say two wildfires that had neared Scotts Bluff and Crawford have largely been brought under control. The Omaha World Herald reports that a fire southwest of Scotts Bluff that has burned about 3,600 acres was 100% contained by Monday afternoon, while the fire south of Crawford that has burned 5,400 acres was halfway contained. The two fires were first reported last week and are about 70 miles apart in a region that is in the grip of severe drought. On Friday, Governor Pete Ricketts declared the fires an emergency, freeing up additional state resources. Legislative Speaker Mike Hilgers says he's hopeful all six statewide redistricting bills can get first-round approval by the weekend, but if it becomes clear that won't happen, he will end the current special session early. Hilgers on Tuesday outlined his plans for the rest of the session, saying any redistricting effort is complex and difficult, and even more so since the U.S. Census Bureau withheld data until August. He said many states are in the same position, and if redistricting gets pushed into next year, Nebraska is likely to join several other states that could see a delay in their primary election. If we happen to have one delayed election to get these right for the next 10 years, then ultimately that's the price that we'll have to pay. If we do, if we do I am confident of this, if we do adjourn sunny die this week, it certainly won't be like for lack of trying. It simply will be that it was not possible under the time frame that we've had. Hilger said lawmakers should expect short morning floor sessions and long negotiation sessions into the evenings the rest of the week in an effort to hammer out compromised maps that could pass general file no later than Saturday. The special session is currently scheduled to end September 30th. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen. Make no other. In Ruskin, see Power Management. Or in Hastings, see TNL Irrigation. Yesterday, the Sandhills Cattle Association hosted their 82nd annual convention and trade show in Valentine, Nebraska. One of the keynote speakers, Dr. Darrell Peel from Oklahoma State University. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dr. Peel and I sat down after his talk to focus on what's been happening in this cattle market. And first, definitely has been the dryness and concerns for feed. They really are. It's been a, you know, obviously a very challenging year. Uh, the Northern Plains started the year dry and that's the worst kind of drought if there's a less worse drought possible. Um, so, you know, the, the, the challenge is, uh, at this point now, we're not going to grow a lot more forage. Whatever we've got is what we've got. So these guys are now trying to figure out how do we get to the next growing season, which is many months away at this point. So, you know, we're trying to figure out also just how many cows have been affected by this in terms of net liquid 
information. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, cows can move around and not necessarily exit the industry, but uh, clearly some have, and the slaughter rates show that. And so that's part of what we're trying to figure out now is, is what are the impacts on the, the entire industry when you look at how the drought may have accelerated herd liquidation. Having said that, and, and we look at the overall market, have we seen maybe right now a low put in the market as we move into these fall months? Well, you know, uh, seasonality is still important. So uh, depending on what group of cattle we're talking about, uh, we've still got some seasonal issues. That cocal market, for example, actually stayed very high through the summer, even with high slaughter rates. And that was underpinned by a strong ground beef market, lean beef market, if you will. But as we go into the fall, the rest of the country will be doing normal culling. So we will clearly see some pressure, for example, on these cold cows. Uh, lightweight feeder calves, again, typically reach their fall low in October, November. So there'll be some pressure there. I actually think there may be a little less seasonal pressure than normal, but it's hard to say. Um, it, it would be hard to, to predict that they're going to go up at this time of the year and really fight that seasonal trend. But maybe it'll be a little muted in terms of the amount of downward pressure. We've seen, obviously, COVID-19 and the recovery that continues from that. And, and the consumer's appetite, they're learning that it's okay to cook from home and, and keep the pressure on the beef moving across the, those meat counters. You know, so many things are, are really an unknown at this point going forward. Uh, all things considered, when we consider the fact that we really shut down half of our food markets last year by closing food service, um, I think we got through that in remarkable shape from the standpoint of potential demand, certainly for proteins in general and beef in, in particular. Um, and then, of course, now we're sort of slowly bringing food service back online. We've still got that home demand, as you mentioned. People uh, know how to cook. And, and so going forward, I think we have a lot of questions, a lot of really fascinating questions about kind of how the future looks. Uh, people know how to cook more now than they did, but do they want to? Some of them, I think, are pretty desperate to have somebody else cook for them for a while. So, you know, we're really trying to figure out what the longer term uh, changes in, in, in uh, you know, consumer behavior is. Uh, Should we have any concerns about the packer infrastructure and the continued struggles and hurdles that they've had? Well, I think we've come through the worst of it in the short run. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to fix the problem just because cattle numbers, feedlot numbers are falling. Uh, we're not going to have the same constraints going forward. We'll see that fed cattle market get better connected to the wholesale beef market than it has been uh, going forward. Longer term, I think that infrastructure question is very, very big for the industry. Probably not in the next two years, but, you know, three, four, five years down the road, uh, we could be in a situation where global markets look like they offer a lot of potential, strong domestic markets offer potential for this industry to grow and as soon as we try to grow cattle numbers we're going to run right back up against those capacity constraints so that infrastructure question is very very important longer term well having said that then what is your thoughts on production in 22 as we deal with what we don't know and all the herd liquidations and and the tight numbers that we might see well we're clearly looking for decreasing supplies um, so you know in a, in a, in a uh, you know backdrop of strong beef demand continued strong beef demand tighter supplies you know we're optimistic across the board for cattle prices uh, you know beef prices are already strong but cattle prices uh, in particular whether we're talking calves feeder cattle fed cattle uh, our expectations for 2022 and, and and that comes as a result of expecting uh, you know perhaps a two percent decrease in beef production in 2022. 
Should we be locking in some of these feed costs? Well, you know, again, I don't think uh, the the feed price situation is going to go away anytime soon. I don't think a, a big harvest, a near record crop of corn is going to is going to you know fix the problems. We're going to have elevated feed costs going forward. So, you know, I think every individual needs to think about uh, that potential. Uh, you know, risk management is something that that has a very unique answer for every entity. And the thing about these markets is, you can kind of get them figured out, but they don't stay figured out. So you got to do it over and over again. What's the global appetite going to be for proteins into 2022? I think the global appetite for protein continues to grow tremendously. Uh, you know, China is the biggest driver, really, of certainly of beef markets, but really, you know, protein markets in general. Um, but it's it's growing in a lot of places. And so I think uh, global protein demand uh, uh, is, is phenomenal. And really, not just for this next year, but in general for the coming years, is going to offer a lot of potential for a lot of different players around the world. That's my conversation with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University, the keynote speaker yesterday at the Sandhills Cattle Association's 82nd Annual Convention and Trade Show. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 65. Stocks are broadly higher on Wall Street, potentially setting up the S&P 500 to break a four-day losing streak. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. The benchmark index was up 1.2% in midday trading, led by gains in banks and technology companies. Facebook tempered gains for communications companies with a 4.2% loss after its oversight board said it will review an internal system that exempted high-profile users from some or all of its rules. Investors will be watching the Federal Reserve's announcement after its latest policy meeting this afternoon. Sales of previously occupied U.S. homes fell in August as the pace of price growth eased. In the latest sign, the housing market is cooling as intense competition leaves many would-be buyers on the sidelines. The National Association of Realtors says existing home sales fell 2% last month from July to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5.88 million units. Sales fell 1.5% from August of last year. The House has approved legislation to fund the government, suspend its borrowing limit, and provide federal disaster and refugee aid. Republicans in the Senate are expected to block the measure, however, as Congress works to avoid a federal shutdown at the end of the fiscal year on September 30th. Nebraska's leading economic indicator rose in August, according to the most recent report from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The leading indicator is designed to predict economic activity six months into the future. The leading indicator rose by 0.79%, reversing a small decline of 0.20% in July. The rising indicator suggests that the Nebraska economy will continue to grow through the first quarter of 2022, said economist Eric Thompson, director of the Bureau of Business Research. Leading indicator improved due to an increase in manufacturing and construction activity and strong expectations among businesses in general. For the Rural Radio Network, to learn more. Today we're joined on the phone by Lynn Hendrickson. She's the Development Officer for Farm Rescue, and she oversees Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois. Lynn, thanks so much for hopping on today with us. We're talking about an upcoming webinar that's hosted by Farm Rescue. So first of all, if you would, tell us a little bit more about this webinar. For the webinar through the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association, we are going to discuss the mission and purpose of Farm Rescue and how they could actually utilize the services that we provide in planting, harvesting, hay baling, 
uh, or your livestock feeding for farm and ranch families that are in crisis. Awesome. So if you would share a couple key takeaways that you hope folks get from this webinar. We hope that people will take away that this is a totally free service that we are providing being a nonprofit organization. And we are going to help these farm and ranch families that are in crisis through an accident or illness or natural disaster. And really that they know that we're here to serve them so that they can keep the operation going. So, Lynn, for folks who might not be super familiar with what Farm Rescue is, tell us about some of the things that you guys do. Farm Rescue was um, organized in 2005 and currently has served almost 800 families um, in the states that we are in. Uh, And Farm Rescue will help a family in the farming or ranching operation where they've had an accident or illness that takes a a key member out of the operation um, or a natural disaster, and we can come in and help them with their planting or hay baling, uh, any of their harvest needs, as well as livestock feeding. We also have another entity under our umbrella called Operation Haylift, and that's where we can source um, livestock feed for someone who may need it in a drought-stricken area or, again, a natural disaster that has taken away all those resources. So this upcoming webinar, Lynn, is going to dive into all of this and probably a whole lot more. What are the specifics of this webinar? When is it and how how can we log on to it? I would suggest to look to register with the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association. Go to their website and they can uh, visit to or check that out to get the registration going. It will be on October 4th and uh, we will be conducting that webinar and hope a lot of people will join in and uh, it's a it's a free service for them that they can learn more about this valuable resource. Okay, awesome. Lynn, as we look on the on the calendar for Farm Rescue, do you guys have anything coming up that's important to mention to our listeners? Uh, we obviously harvest will will be first and foremost on our agenda. We have several families uh, that we helped with, say, their wheat harvest earlier in the year. We're coming back for corn and soybean harvest to those areas. We'll be helping in, again, the the states that we cover or North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, and eastern Montana. So we we have those families identified that, uh, that we currently help this year and coming back. But we also will be looking for additional families that need help. Okay, awesome, Lynn. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for your time. You bet. And just to recap, we've been visiting with Lynn Henriksen with Farm Rescue. They will be hosting an upcoming webinar. She said it's October 4th. It starts at 7.30 p.m. called Farm Rescue, Helping Farm Families in Crisis. You just need to go to NebraskaCattlemen.org backslash event and you can find the registration information. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers on their checkoff, you're listening to the rural risk before investing. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, we end back solidly in the green across much of the grain complex. Positive to see for many folks. Interesting to note, though, that the oat market went limit up in the overnight session, has stayed limit higher throughout the day trade. And albeit, even though corn ended towards its highs of the day, oats are worth more than corn at the Board of Trade right now. Yeah, and if you go back on a chart here to the 80s, we haven't ever seen 
uh, a, a price this a spread price that's different. Now, keep in mind in 2010, corn went to eight bucks. So you know a lot of that, or in 2012 rather. So a lot of that was on the way back down when corn fell. Uh, and, and oats actually held in a little bit better. So an interesting dynamic to develop there. But um, if you take the the you know the old saying, oats knows, it certainly is supportive. I think the way we shrugged off the biofuel data this morning, uh, you know, is is bullish as well. And I think the data, if you really dig into it, is bullish in the long run. I, they're going to continue to use more ethanol. The projections are for for continued growth, and that's not even accounting for exports. So I think in the short run here. Uh, soybean oil leads the complex higher again, and I, I look for some some pretty decent trade ahead uh, if we can clear you know five twenty seven five twenty eight tonight in corn. There's some shorts up there about five thirty that uh, I think could run a little bit if, uh, if if you know things would get bullish on the macro side. And speaking of that macro side, we take a breath today. It looks like Ever Evergrande is going to make their debt payments, at least on the interest portion of it. Maybe China trying to spin the company in a couple directions. As well, the Fed, they're continuing to be dovish. They're going to continue injecting cash into the economy. So right now we kind of have this reprieve. Is there still, though, some downside risk here and things to be vigilant and, and watchful of? I think... You know, if you have a real meltdown in the Chinese economy, that would certainly not help commodity prices. But I do believe a lot of that's priced in. And, you know, the, the Lehman Brothers' comments and comparisons aren't even really apt, in, in my opinion. At that time of period, that was like walking through a door in a sense of kicking off all this quantitative easing that we were doing, that we've been doing. So that that essentially, up until that point, nobody really knew. If you look at what, go back and watch documentaries. Uh, on it, you know, nobody really knew what was going to happen there in, uh, you know, September of 2008. Um, so I don't think the comparisons are apt. I think global food prices are high and rising. I think corn prices here at five bucks need to inspire new production for next year. So I mean, I'm I'm more in the camp to say, uh, you know, if you're not user here, you got to get to work. Start looking at some prices, you know, to defer for 2022. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing, more DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, trading future options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Wednesday. Catch the midday podcast that can be found at KRVN.com or wherever podcasts are available.